0: Lord, we come before you again, God, um, with humble hearts and recognition that that we need you, Lord, that we depend on you, God, and we want to hear from you. So we pray that you would speak to us through this text and help us to understand the implications of it, why you saw fit to inspire these words and and give them to Luke, why this story specifically is so crucial and how it affects us in this present day and age, Lord. So we ask for a fresh anointing of your spirit, that you would fill us, that you would guide us in your word, help us to understand what you desire us to understand through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, if you've been with us, we've been going through uh, the book of Acts. Uh, last week, we were in Acts chapter 10, and we see God transforming the traditions of Peter. Well, it didn't just start back in Acts chapter 10. It actually started back in Acts chapter nine, that very last verse, in verse 43, it said that Peter, after he performed these miracles, he stayed at Simon a tanner's house, okay? A tanner was someone. Someone who tanned hides. They worked with dead animals because they needed their skin to make leather and different items. So this was strictly forbidden for a Jew to stay with Tanner if you will because they dealt with dead animals and if you know what the Levitical law teaches you weren't able to come into contact with a dead animal or you'd be ceremonially unclean well God led Peter to the house of Simon the Tanner because he's starting to break some of his traditions in regards to Judaism but it doesn't stop there we see as we enter into Acts chapter 10 this man by the name of Cornelius kind of the other side of the story he's a centurion of the Roman army one who feared God so he recognized Yahweh he recognized the God of Israel but he wasn't saved yet he didn't know Jesus yet well anyways this guy he's praying fasting seeking God and the Lord gives him a vision uh, and an angel tells him that he needs to talk to Simon Peter so, he sends some of his men to talk to Simon Peter, and on the other side, Simon Peter, he's praying and seeking God, and the Lord gives him a vision. And his vision, if you remember, there was something like a sheet, a picture, an open door or an open window, uh, if you will. And inside this sheet were all kinds of unclean animals, and God told him to rise and eat. Well, if you know Judaism, it was strictly forbidden to eat certain animals, Peter responds and says, not so Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. Or in other words, I've stuck to a kosher diet my entire life. Well, God wasn't concerned about Peter eating unclean animals. He was trying to give him a message to lead him to the truth that God was opening up the door to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He continues to give Peter some other things to help him understand that. In this text specifically, we're going to see just that happen. Peter, he's going to have a, an encounter with Cornelius, the centurion, um, The centurion of the Roman army who was a Gentile. He's going to come to his house with all his household. And he's going to deliver this powerful message. Now it's this message specifically that God uses to open up the door for salvation for the Gentiles. Title of this teaching, an open door to the Gentiles. An open door to the Gentiles. This is crucial. Gentiles, if you don't know or anyone who is not a Jew, okay, raise your hand if you're a Gentile, okay? Okay, I know we have some Jews that come to our church, I love it. But this is crucial. This is where it started. Yes, Jesus preached the gospel and he encountered uh, Gentiles and had conversations with them. But we see this text specifically is where the gospel was presented to the Gentiles. So we can attribute, at least in part, our our opportunity to receive salvation, not just with Jesus dying and, and rising from the dead, but also God using Peter to get the gospel out there. He could have used someone else. Yes, absolutely. But this is where it all started. From here, we'll see the gospel being presented to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 10, if you remember, we ended in verse 23. Uh, it says, then he invited them and lodged them. Remember, it was, uh, traditionally, not biblically, but traditionally, uh, not okay to be in the same house as a Gentile. This specifically connected to, uh, more than anything, the kosher diet, because they didn't know if those Gentiles had their hands on cheese and meat at the same time, or some type of, uh, shellfish, or whatever the case may be. So they were, putting barriers up so that they wouldn't break the law of God. So they wouldn't be in the same house as a Gentile because Gentiles were considered unclean. Nevertheless, because of the direction that Peter received from God, he has these Gentiles stay in the same house as him. And then it says on the next day, verse 23, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So Peter recognized from the message of these guys and the message of the Lord. Okay, there's this this guy Cornelius that I'm supposed to have a conversation with. I don't know what this conversation is about. But I got to go talk to this guy. Because God told me to. So he's going to go with these Gentile men. But Peter doesn't go alone. He brings some brethren. Meaning they were Jewish Christians, okay? Jews that accepted Jesus Christ, often referred to as full Jews, okay? Full Jews is what a lot of Jewish people will call. Like we're full Jews, like we're Jewish, but we've recognized the Messiah. Some people will refer to them as Messianic Jews, or they'll refer to themselves as Messianic Jews. So he brings these brethren with him. We'll see it's six guys. And this was strategic. I don't believe Peter was doing this out of fear, because he was afraid he was gonna get martyred and he was gonna use his six uh, Jewish Christians to battle against the centurion and his army, right? Uh, no, this is for not just accountability, but also so that they could witness the gospel being presented to the Gentiles. If you remember, we see in the Levitical law, uh, you needed two or three to bear witness to something being true. Peter brings this pe- these people uh, likely because he wants them to see the gospel being presented to the Jewish people. So it wasn't just taking Peter's word for it. You had these other guys that were also there. Look what happens. Acts chapter 10, verse 24. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them. And had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. So, Peter, he travels to Caesarea to meet Cornelius. Cornelius, he realized that this was going to be a weighty message. So he gathers friends and relatives. We got to hear this. I don't know what this guy is going to preach, but God sent this messenger. So we need to hear what he has to say. Then when Peter walks through the door, Cornelius falls down and worships him. (laughs) He falls down and worships him. Well, we know that men aren't meant to be worshipped okay in that culture caesar was worshipped as a god so this might be part of um cornelius's thinking uh we there's no indication to say that cornelius thought peter was god or a god he likely just recognized that he was a holy man sent from god so he acts uh in a form of submission and bows down before him in an act of worship, Peter says, no, 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 don't do that. He says, stand up, I myself am also a man. God gave the glory, or sorry, Peter gave the glory back to God. He pointed back, pointed back to God. Men men are not to be worshipped. The Bible teaches us that you should not worship men. Now, when it says worship men, it doesn't mean just, uh, you know, prostrate yourself in an act of submission before men. We're not supposed to put men before God, not even husbands, not even wives, not even children. We're not to worship people. We're to worship God. In fact, the Bible also teaches us not just that we're not uh, we're not supposed to worship men. We're also not supposed to worship angels. Let me show you. It's Revelation chapter 19. This is the second time that John does this. Apostle John, we find John in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. He says, and I fell at his feet. He's speaking of an angel. To worship him and he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The angel says, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't worship me. Worship God. Angels don't receive worship unless they're fallen angels. There is no man or no angel that is submitted to God that should ever receive worship. What about Jesus? Wasn't he a man? Yeah, Jesus was a man. But, and Jesus received worship. Why? Because he wasn't just a man. He was God in the flesh. We see, if you want to write this down, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. Jesus, just after he taught the Sermon on the Mount, he has this encounter with this leper, and it says that the leper fell down, bowed down, and worshipped Jesus. And Jesus didn't say, don't worship me, worship God alone. No, he received the worship. Why? Because he is God in the flesh. The Bible strictly teaches, do not worship men, do not worship angels. But Jesus was much more than a man he was God. So he receives the worship. It's interesting. Um, there are many different religions that teach that Jesus, uh, was something other than God, that he was, uh, just a, a prophet as the Muslims will say, uh, that he, uh, was, uh, Michael, um, the archangel incarnate has Jehovah's witnesses say, but here's the reality. If Jesus was just a prophet or if he was Michael, the archangel, he couldn't receive worship. Biblically but he does receive worship why because he's more than just a man he's not an angel He's the angel of the lord in the old testament but he's god in the flesh so he receives worship this is what peter's getting at no no don't worship me only worship god and that's what peter's going to do he's going to point cornelius to the fact and reality of what it means to worship god and god alone look at verse 27 And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, I asked then, for what reason have you set for me? So Peter says, you know, this wasn't something new to Cornelius, you know it's unlawful for a Jewish man to keep company with a Gentile. This is something that Cornelius knew, this is something that Peter did. I don't know what God's doing, but he wants me to have this conversation and enter into your house, although this was unlawful according to tradition, not according to the Bible. Well, Peter was likely encouraged because he watched his master do the same thing. In Matthew chapter 8 verses 5 to 8, we see Jesus come into the house of a centurion. And this was considered Not a good thing to do in Judaism. You couldn't enter the house with a Gentile or be under the same roof. You could be deemed unclean. But Jesus knew that it wasn't about the laws of men. It was about the word of God. And he followed the word of God. He ended up healing the centurion's servant in that specific case. So we see Peter following once again in the footsteps of his master. And he gets the lesson here. Look what he says in verse 28. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter realizes that the vision with all the unclean animals wasn't about animals. God wasn't concerned specifically with Peter's diet. He was concerned with the encounters that Peter would have in the future with Gentiles. This encounter specifically. The point was with this vision that even unclean Gentiles can be saved by the blood of the Lamb. However, there are connections between the gospel and the old kosher diet. I say old, even though many people still practice it today, and it's very okay to practice a kosher diet. However, we're not bound to practice a kosher diet. Let me show you. It's Romans chapter 14, and Romans chapter 14, among many texts, It says in Romans chapter 14, verse 14, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. He says, let each one be convinced in his own mind. If you want to stick to a kosher diet, that's fine. It's actually pretty healthy. you would probably be healthy. You might lose some weight. If you stick to a kosher diet and you want to lose some weight, it might happen. You can only eat with a kosher diet certain animals, certain things. They had to be prepared a certain way. You could only uh, eat animals that had split hooves and chewed the cud. Basically, that minimized it to cows, um, sheep, or lambs. There's a few other animals, but those were the main ones that they would eat. You couldn't eat shellfish. You could only eat fish with scales. So basically, most types of fish um, couldn't eat sharks if people eat sharks had it before. Not the best. Um, but there were certain things that people could eat and certain p- things that people couldn't eat. And what we see God do through the gospel, specifically for the Gentiles, he says, you don't have to be bound to, to the law. You don't have to be bound to the kosher diet. That doesn't mean that the law is bad. The law is good if it's used lawfully. The point is, as we have encounters with people of various cultures, even Christians, there's some Christians that I know that stick to a, a kosher diet. It's not wrong for them to do it. if They're doing it to try to earn the love of God, then that 's not the gospel, but if they 're doing it just because hey they feel like they should try to do that and have a healthy lifestyle that 's fine. The context of Romans chapter fourteen is hey don 't cause offense to other people because of your convictions don 't put your convictions on other people, okay, you stick to your convictions, allow them to stick to theirs if they 're not breaking the Word of God. They're living, hopefully, by their convictions. Don't cause extra offense and say, hey, you're legalistic. You're sticking to a kosher diet. That's not the case. It's completely okay. But the main point here, as Peter realizes, it wasn't about his diet. It was about people. God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. He says, therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Peter said, I I came without objection. Why? Because God told me something. God gave me a vision. He spoke to me through people. He spoke to me through circumstances, and I walked in obedience. The fact that God communicates to us or tells us something is enough for us, or at least should be enough for us to walk in obedience. He shouldn't have to, he shouldn't have to try to beg us. He shouldn't have to try to plead with us. He just gave Peter these words. Now, Peter struggled at first because he didn't understand, but ultimately we see Peter became obedient to the Lord. He says, therefore I came without objections as soon as I was sent for. So he goes communicates to Cornelius why he came and then he asks Cornelius a question verse 29 I ask then for what reason have you sent for me so why he still doesn't have complete clarity as to why Cornelius wants to have this conversation so Cornelius is going to share his side of the story in verse 30 So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. Okay, so four days had passed since Cornelius had this vision. You see that he was fasting, he was praying, he was seeking God. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here whose surname is Peter he is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea when he comes he will speak to you so i sent to you immediately and you have done well to come now therefore we are all present before god to hear all the things commanded you by god let's break this down for just a second we see Cornelius before he received this vision he was fasting and he was praying. And we don't know exactly what Cornelius was praying about. We don't know what he was asking God. The text doesn't say. But as Cornelius prayed, God gave Cornelius a vision, and he opened a door. It's point number one. Pray for open doors. Pray for open doors. Although we don't know what Cornelius' prayer was, it could have been something like, God, I just want to do your well. What do you want to to say to me? Is there a message that you want to deliver me? Uh, Whatever the case may be, we see through the prayers of Cornelius, this door was opened. And he tells him, I want you to go seek out Peter because he has a message for you. This truth pertains to us as well. Jesus says it like this, as he's teaching to the disciples, mind you, about prayer. this is what he says in Luke chapter 11, verse nine. He says, "So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Lord invites us to ask. He said, pray for doors to be opened. Ask me what you want me to do. Ask, ask me what my will is for you in your life. Seek me. Knock on doors. Walk through the doors. See, Cornelius was seeking the Lord in the most vague sense for some sort of direction or some sort of answer. And God, He delivered. God wants us to ask him to open doors. God wants us to seek him for what his will is for us in our lives. He wants us to seek him for opportunities in our lives, to to receive his grace, to share his grace. The opportunities are endless in God's economy, but so many opportunities we're not able to take advantage of because we're not asking for him. We're not preparing our hearts for him. We're not asking. We're not seeking. We're not knocking. God gives us a promise attached to those things now in context it's important to know he ties all that into the holy spirit okay ask for the holy spirit and your father because he's gonna father will give it to you but it does pertain to other things as well god wants us to ask he wants us to seek he wants us to knock i wonder how many doors in our life we've missed out on because we didn't ask god we didn't ask him is this is this a door you want me to go on is this a door you want me to go through because we're not asking because we're not seeking what happens we miss out on the opportunities. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, it says, He's prepared good works for us since the foundations of the earth. So many of those good works we miss because we're not seeking God to understand what they are. He wants us to seek. He wants us to ask. He wants us to knock. In Revelation chapter 3 verse 7, in Revelation 3 verse 7, Jesus says, I open doors that no one can shut and I shut doors no one can open. God wants to open doors for us in our life. He also wants to shut doors for us in our life. But there's two sides. God has his responsibility. He opens doors and closes doors, and we have a responsibility to knock on the doors. Is this a door that's open or is it closed? Lord, the no, only way we'll know that is by seeking and asking God, is this something you want me to do? Is this not something we, you want me to do? And we see as we pursue the Lord, he makes it clear to us which doors to walk through, which doors to stay away from. Part of this clarity that Cornelius received in verse 31 Sorry, verse 32, it says, send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you, okay? So Cornelius knows that Simon Peter has a message to deliver to him, okay? He doesn't know what the message is. He just knows that Simon Peter has a message to deliver to him. So he's waiting To hear from Simon Peter and look at how he says they're waiting in verse 33. So I sent to you immediately, not delayed. He wanted to hear from the Lord right away. And you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things God commanded you by God. They were ready. They were willing. They were inviting the message of God. They don't know if this is good news or bad news. When you look at the Bible, yeah, the gospel is the good news, but there's some bad news in the Bible too. If you study the prophets, there's a lot of bad news. God's speaking about judgment for different nations. The reality of it is Cornelius only knew that God had a message for him, but he was willing to receive it. See, sometimes we can fall into this place that we close our ears to the bad news. We close our ears to the correction. We close our ears to the conviction. The Lord wants us to open our ears to all of it. Sometimes God will bring bad news. Hey, you keep going down this path, it's going to destroy you. Sometimes God wants to bring conv- conviction. Sometimes He wants to bring correction. Sometimes he wants to bring encouragement, sometimes he wants to bring that good news. sometimes he wants to bring a blessing, but the reality of it is we got to prepare our hearts before the Lord and be willing whether it's pleasing or displeasing, to hear the message of God. God, what do you want to say to me? so easy for us to just read our Bible how many how in your Bible who who underlines things in their Bible or highlights or something okay um how many uh h- how many um verses about judgment or correction do you have underlined you don't have to tell me don't raise your hand how many underlines do you have of of encouragement of grace of mercy of forgiveness of all these things right because that's what we want to see that's the message that we want to hear But that's not always the message. Yes, everything God communicates, it's from a heart of love because God is love. But it's not always news that we want to hear. Cornelius doesn't know the news that he's going to hear. Nevertheless, he prepares himself. He says, hey, we're here to hear all the things that God commanded you. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth... I perceive that God shows no partiality. See what happens there? Peter opened his mouth. Well, it was Jesus that led Peter to open his mouth. And by Jesus leading Peter to open his mouth, he opened up a door for the Gentiles to receive the gospel. This is the second point. An open mouth leads to an open door. An open mouth leads to an open door. The Lord can use the opening of our mouths, our communication, to open doors. Now, that's not to say that God can't use our mouth to close doors, right? Sometimes we say things that we shouldn't say. Um, There's been times where I've had conversations with people sharing the gospel, and I've said something that I shouldn't say, and door closed. Okay, so the, the Lord can use our mouths to close doors as well, but he often uses our mouths to open doors, It often starts with little conversations with people, building relationships. Sometimes it just starts with small talk. And you might have one little conversation with the person uh, about a joke, about something funny. And before you know it, the person is getting saved because you had an opportunity to share the gospel with the person. I've shared the story before, but I told you I was in the mall one day with the buddy Tim, the guy that uh, serves as a missionary in Columbia, and and we were... uh, we were we were there to evangelize okay but the 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 mall was closing in 5 minutes so it was like okay lost cause who's going to get saved in 5 minutes right like that's beyond god um, <laughs> so we were just joking around and we're walking down the center like I, you know how they have those um, what are they called you know the things in the middle I forget what they're called. The word's not coming to me. Kiosks. Yeah. Okay. And she was selling wigs, right? So we go up to this lady uh, and we're like, hey, can we try those on? Okay. We hadn't slept much. We're kind of delirious. Hey, can we try on one of those wigs? Uh, and she's like, no, you're not going to buy the wig. So why would I let you try it on? So literally from that, within five minutes, I don't know how it happened, the... The door opened to share the gospel with this lady. As I'm, as I'm communicating the gospel, she just starts weeping. She's bawling her eyes out. She tells me, I can see it in you that everything you're telling me is true. And she received the Lord right there on the spot. Right there on the spot. It was absolutely amazing. But if I didn't open my mouth about wigs, who would have known what would have happened? See? Sometimes the smallest things, it could be a joke. It could just be asking someone how their day is. We open our mouth to a stranger. It could end up to the door opening for the gospel to be preached. Because that's the reality. People can't get saved by the gospel unless they hear the gospel. Unless they hear it. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14. He says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? In other words, how are people going to call on Jesus if nobody tells them? And when he's saying preacher in there, he's talking to the whole church. He's not talking to the whole church in Rome. He's not talking to just the pastor of the church. Okay, He's not just talking about like preachers that have that occupation. We're all called to do the work of an evangelist. Why? Because people need to hear the gospel to believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word word of God that's our responsibility that's our duty but if we don't open our mouths then some of those doors stay closed I know our parents always told us not to talk to strangers but that's when we were kids okay we're adults now okay the Bible tells us talk to strangers share the gospel with strangers don't put yourself in a situation that's gonna um, cause harm but still we're called to talk to strangers that's part of our faith okay he says, truly, in verse 34, as he opened his mouth, this is the first thing he says. In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. Okay, this is interesting. This is true, even in the Old Testament, which we'll get into uh, here in a minute. But just to give us uh a little more understanding of the dynamic between a Jew and a Gentile, they hated each other for the most part Jews hated Gentiles and Gentiles they typically hated Jews as well often a Jewish man when they prayed their first of three prayers in uh with that first uh prayer of the day typically they pray three times a day still do um they would pray God thank you that I'm not a Gentile thank you that I'm not a slave and some say that they would say thank you that I'm not a woman okay Ooh, yikes scary Don't pray that prayer, especially if you're a Gentile woman, all right? (laughs) This is how much they hated the Gentiles. They were so unclean. They looked down upon them. They wanted nothing to do with them. So much so, we see in history, uh, in the culture, they were not supposed... To, this wasn't what God said to them, okay? Mind you. Um, they, they weren't supposed to help a Gentile, even if they were in dire need, okay? An example that's given uh, is if uh, a Gentile woman just went into labor, okay? So you saw her on the side of the road going into labor, like that would ever happen. See, it happens. So, if you were a Jew and you had the ability to help her on some level, you weren't supposed to help her. Why? Because it was considered an act of evil. You were bringing another unclean Gentile into the world. Like, this is how crazy it was! You weren't even supposed to help him. That's why Jesus communicates the good Samaritan, right? That's why he tells that parable. They hated Samaritans too. He says, no, 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 no. God wants us to love everyone. Gentile, Jew, you name it, it doesn't matter. See, Peter, he got this. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Their traditions were against God's heart. And Peter realized in this moment that God was opening up a door to the Gentiles. He truly desired all men to be saved. This is point number three. God opens the door for everyone. God opens the door for Everyone. God showing no partiality. Well, it isn't just a New Testament thing. Um, the, it's probably new to Peter because it was against his tradition. But in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, in Deuteronomy 10:17, it says that that God shows no partiality between people. He chose the Jews, but that doesn't mean that He only loved the Jews. And the Jews believed that God only loved the Jews and He hated the Gentiles. That's not true. That's tradition. That's not what the Bible teaches. God loved all men he desires all men to be saved that's what the text tells us in first timothy chapter 2 in first timothy chapter 2 verse 4 it says just that first timothy 2 4 it says or look at verse 3 for context for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior, he's talking about praying for all men. And then he says, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God literally desires all men to be saved. He wants every single man, woman, child. He wants everyone to be saved. So why isn't everyone saved? Because God gives man free will. And though he desires people to be saved and come with them, he won't force relationship on them. He won't force people into the kingdom. That's not how he operates. He invites people to walk into the door, but he's not dragging people by the ear to enter into the door. That's just not how God works. Yes, he's sovereign. He is sovereign. But in his sovereignty, he gives man responsibility. In his sovereignty, he desires, he wills that all men will be saved. But in man's responsibility, they reject God's desire to enter into that relationship so they don't, but he wants them all to come, that's why Jesus died, for God so loved the world, not just the Jew, not just believers, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, we're going to see in heaven, in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9, we'll see all tongues, tribes, and nations. All tongues, tribes, and nations. We'll see people of different ethnic backgrounds, sizes, shapes, colors, you name it, different language, all of it. We're going to see all these different groups of people. Why? Because God opened it up for everyone. God desires everyone to enter into that door. Even people that we don't think should enter into heaven. When we get to heaven, we're probably going to be shocked by some of the people that are there. They're like, what, really? God invited you? Yeah, God invited them too. My my annoying obnoxious next door neighbor, yeah, he wants them too. My 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 the the radical Muslim that's killing people in Syria, he wants him too. God wants all men to be saved. We have to have that same mentality. God desires all men to be saved. How, how do I how do I uh, fulfill my responsibility? It's to open my mouth. It's to share the gospel. It's to share the love of Jesus. Every tribe, tongue, nation, every religion, Jew. Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, all of them. He wants all of them to be saved. Because here's the reality. Regardless of what religion or ethnicity or tongue someone has, specifically religion, whether it's Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhist, you name it. A Jew doesn't need Jesus because they're a Jew, okay? A Muslim doesn't need Jesus because they're a Muslim. A Buddhist doesn't need Jesus because they're a Buddhist. All those religions need Jesus because they're sinners. Okay, that's why, right? And because of the religion they practice, they'll get away from the gospel. But the commonality comes with this. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's something that every human being on on this earth has in common. Okay, so if you think, "Uh, I can't relate to this person because of their culture or their religion or whatever the case may be, you can't. Don't use that as an excuse. They are a sinner, and you're a sinner too. You can relate on that. That's one form of relatability. That's what Peter had in common with Cornelius and all the people standing there. He's a Jew. He's not a Gentile, but he's a sinner, and so is Cornelius. So he says in this message, he continues on in verse 35. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. (laughs) It's all good. Um, (laughs) This is what we're talking about, right? Cornelius was a devout God-fearing man. He feared God. That's what it says here. He, he feared God, he practiced righteousness, but what Peter isn't saying here is that because Cornelius feared God and practiced righteousness, he's saved. That's not what Peter is saying. Cornelius isn't saved until he delivers, until Peter delivers this message, then he receives salvation. Just because he recognized Yahweh, okay? He recognized Jesus' father, if you will. He still needed the gospel. Peter's point is this. It's this specifically. Someone's background doesn't prevent them from receiving the grace of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter tongue, tribe, nation, whatever the case may be. It doesn't even matter what your previous sins were. None of that prevents you from entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ through the gospel. He says, whoever fears God works righteousness. He's accepted by him. The other piece, as he's going to get into, they need to accept Jesus Christ and the price that he paid on the cross. Let's look at it. Verse 36. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. He said this word, the gospel, was preached first to the children of Israel. Literally, God opened up the door for the Israelites to get saved before the Gentiles. Again, that doesn't mean that he loved the Jews before the Gentiles. He made a covenant with the Jews and he promised, hey, there's going to be a time where you're going to be able to enter into this new covenant. The only way to enter into that new covenant is by the blood of the Lamb. But he did, and we see this through Jesus Christ in his ministry. Jesus presented the gospel to the Jews first. His primary focus of ministry was to Jews. Okay, he ministered to Gentiles too, but it was primarily focused on Jews. In fact, in Matthew chapter 15, that Syrophoenician woman that Jesus uh, like doesn't listen to her, kind of blows her off. It seems like he says to her, "I wasn't sent to the Gentile, or I wasn't sent to you. I was sent to the lost tribe of the house of Israel." Okay, I was sent. To to the jews specifically paul will later say in romans chapter 1 verse 16 the power of the gospel that saves was presented to the jew first and also the greek first the jew then the greek when the jew rejected the gospel not all the jews the disciples were jewish but when the majority of the jews rejected the gospel then the gospel gets presented to the gentile this is crucial so many groups And it's sad, even groups that claim to be Christian have this anti-Semitic mentality. In other words, like they hate Jewish people. And they look at all Jewish people as, you killed Jesus, you rejected the Messiah. A lot of them don't even know really about Jesus. They've heard his name, but they don't know the gospel. They don't know everything that Jesus did and why he did it. But we're called love Jews. God love them. The Bible actually tells us to pray for the Jews. In the promise that was made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, he says, he says, Those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I'll curse. Don't curse the Jews. Bless the Jews. The greatest way to bless them is to share the gospel with them. We got a Jew sharing the gospel with a Gentile now. But there's a reality that so many Jews, they need Jesus and they just don't know. They just don't understand who Jesus actually is. So he says, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, verse 36, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. Peace comes through Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, there is no peace. There's no peace in the biblical sense. The peace that surpasses all knowledge and understanding. Why? Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. If you don't have the Prince of Peace, you don't get peace. You don't receive peace. On the contrary, because he's the only avenue by which we can have peace, not just on this earth, but for eternity. If we don't receive the Prince of Peace, we're choosing God's wrath. This isn't just a New Testament thing. This is an Old Testament thing too. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, so many people were like, you know, God was different in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. He was just wiping out people left and right, just this vengeful, angry God. But I want to point something. That's a whole other topic. But But on that topic, we see when the Israelites were entering into the promised land, God gave the Israelites a message to deliver to the surrounding nations before they even went to war with them. He says this in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Verse 10, he says, when you go near a city to fight against it, then proclaim an offer of peace to it. Offer them peace first. And it shall be that if they accept your offer of peace and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute to you and serve you. Now, if the city will not make peace with you, but war against you, then you shall besiege it. God says, offer peace with them, peace with me, and peace with you, my people. If they don't receive peace, then they're choosing war. The same holds true today. If we don't receive the prince of peace and the peace that comes through him, we're choosing to be at war with God. The Bible says, if we're friends with the world, we're not friends with God. We're at enmity against God. We're literally declared God's enemy until we receive the peace that comes through Jesus Christ. So he says that Jesus preaching peace through Jesus Christ. Why? Because the peace can only come through Jesus Christ. He also says this, absolutely crucial, he is Lord of all. Peter was claiming that Jesus was God. This is the first time he does it. He does it in his other sermons as well, in different ways. He is Lord of all. He is the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings. He's actually God In the flesh, he's the ultimate authority. But it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to live it. Peter wasn't just saying it, Peter was living it. He was being obedient to the Lord. The fact that Jesus is Lord isn't just a truth that we conceive in our minds. It's a truth that should be played out in the way that we live. Why? Again, one of the most terrifying verses in all of Scripture, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, many will on that day will call me Lord, Lord, and I'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Calling him Lord, it's only one part of it. Making him Lord is another thing. He says, yeah, do my will. That's what me it means to, to, to make me the Lord of your life. You do my will. Now, God, Jesus isn't teaching that um, we work for our salvation. He's not saying that. But he's saying, if you're really saved and you realize what I did for you, you're going to want to do my will. There's going to be a desire to, to live for me. So Peter says, he is Lord of all. This is God. Verse 37, that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. So Peter says that word you know, which indicates that these men and women, there's probably even children there, um, at the house of Cornelius, they likely had heard the message of Jesus. Um, maybe not from him firsthand. We don't know. Jesus did do ministry in Caesarea, but he says the word, you know, as if they've heard pieces of this before. Okay. They're familiar with who Jesus was. He had a huge following. They probably just don't have the full message. of that word. You know, like this is building off of that. And then he connects it back to the baptism of John, John, the Baptist, not John, the apostle, uh, Um, John the baptizer, if you will. What was the message of John the Baptist? Well, he was to prepare the coming of the Lord. And he would baptize people with water. He would dunk them in the Jordan River. Why? It was an act of repentance. I'm leaving my old lifestyle and I'm going to repent because I'm waiting for the Messiah. But he says this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. He says, I baptize with water, but there will come one after me who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, okay? So there was the baptism of water. There's also the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We'll get into both of those things, and that's what Peter is going to connect this to, okay? John had a baptism of water. Jesus had the the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look what he says in verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. He's saying anointed with the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit. It says just that. And with power. Who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Okay. So Messiah... Actually means anointed one. Okay, Mashiach in the Hebrew. Messiah is the Hebrew word in English. Uh, Christ is the Greek word. It means anointed one. That's simply what it means. Messiah and Christ. They're interchangeable. That's what Peter is saying. The anointed one. Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. And if you remember. When John the Baptist. Dunked Jesus in the Jordan River. What happened? It says the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. He was in that moment anointed with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus was baptized. His baptism wasn't a baptism of repentance. Okay, he was sinless. He never sinned. It was to show us the way, because we too are called to be baptized, water baptized, uh, which I'll get into at the end of this text. But what's awesome about this, I love this, one of my favorite passages, in Luke chapter 4 after jesus was baptized with the holy spirit and he was in the wilderness uh fasting for 40 days then he was tempted by satan when he comes back this is one of the first things that he does In luke chapter 4 he enters into a synagogue and look what he says luke chapter 4 verse 17 says and he was handed the book of the prophet isaiah and when he had opened the book He found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has set me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Oh my gosh, so powerful. Isaiah chapter 61 is what he's talking about. That's all about the Messiah, the anointing of the Holy Spirit and what he would accomplish for God. Jesus reads it and says, yeah, that's me. That's me. That, that, yeah, you're looking at me like uh, appalled. Wait, you didn't teach about it. No, I don't have to teach about it. I've been teaching about it. this is me. I'm the fulfillment of this scripture. Jesus was the anointed one of God. And with this anointing, he went about, it says, doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. He did the majority of his miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. And he was leaning on the power of the Spirit to accomplish what God desired him to accomplish, to teach us the same thing. That we need the anointing of the Spirit to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. But he also says this, Look, by the devil, for God was with him. Verse 38, God was, wait a minute. We talked about how Jesus is God. So how is God with God? How does this make sense? Yes, Jesus is fully God, 100%, fully man, okay? It wasn't like he was a human and he became deity because of his righteousness. No, he was a deity that put on humanity. He is God. What the text is saying here, God was with him. God the Father was with him. God the Holy Spirit was with him. But Jesus is the third person of the Trinity. Now, let me clarify. We do not worship three gods, okay? As Christians, we do not worship three gods. That's not what the Bible teaches. Many people say, oh, Christians, you're polytheists. You worship many gods. You worship three gods. That's not what the Bible teaches. We worship one God that reveals himself through three persons. Okay? Yes, they're God, but they're not separate gods. They're separate persons. We could talk about this for ages, but we need to understand the Trinity. It's not three separate gods. It's one God who revealed himself in three persons. And each of these persons, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit have a claim to deity that we can see in the text. In Acts chapter 10, verse 39 And we are witnesses of all these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Peter says we're not like secondhand witnesses here. It's not like somebody told us about the story that happened ages ago. No, we saw this. We saw all of this stuff. What I'm communicating to you actually happened right before our very eyes. And he says, whom they killed by hanging on a tree thought jesus died on a cross well what's a cross made out of right wood tree and we see that this is also a fulfillment of prophecy back in deuteronomy it says um, that those who hang on a tree are cursed we see jesus he was cursed on our behalf he took on the weight of sin the wrath of god so that those who believe in him won't have to receive the wrath of god the text continues. Verse 40. Him, God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. So death could not hold Jesus, right? He was completely sinless. On the third day, he rose from the dead in his resurrected state, in his resurrected body. And Peter says he did this openly. Why? This wasn't in secret. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us 500 people saw Jesus in his resurrected form. It wasn't just the 12 disciples. It wasn't some just thing that they made up. There were many people that saw Jesus in his resurrected form that didn't just see him, but had encounters with them. He talks about eating with them. God wanted Specific people to see the resurrection to get the message out there. He says not to all people in verse forty-one, but to witnesses chosen before by God. He chose specific people to reveal Himself to. Now we might say, "Man, I wish I saw Jesus resurrected. I wish I was there." And yeah, a huge part of me does. I wish I get to. See, one day I will. But all right, now I wish I saw Jesus in His resurrected form. But we can't forget that there came a cost with this. The 12 apostles were all persecuted for their faith. 11 of them were martyred. John was almost martyred, burned alive in oil. So there was a wait to seeing Jesus risen from the dead. Okay, I'm going to give you so much evidence that you don't even need faith. But on the other side of it, you're going to need this faith because you're going to die for your faith. And that's the reality. God showed, revealed Himself to specific people because He knew what He needed to do for them specifically so that they would have the courage and boldness needed to proclaim the gospel even when it cost them their lives. So it says... <clears throat> Even to us, verse 41, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Okay, We see this in Luke's Gospel, Luke's writing Acts. We see it in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, that the disciples, they ate and drank with Jesus. Jesus' body, he, he, didn't, he wasn't just like a spirit okay, or a phantom or a ghost floating around. He had a physical body. Okay, It was spiritual in essence, but it was actually physical. He could eat, he could drink, he could encounter and touch people like Thomas touches him in his side helps us understand that we too will have physical spiritual bodies, if you will. And he says, and he commanded, verse 42 us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to judge, to be judge of the living and the dead. That commandment wasn't strictly for the disciples. That commandment is for all of us to tell of who Jesus was and what he did, not just on the cross and rising from the dead, but what he's done in our lives personally. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. We're almost done. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Only through the name of Jesus can we receive remission of sins. Point number four. Only through his name is the door opened. Only through his name is the door opened. Only through the name of Jesus can we be saved. Why do I say that? So many people say, man... You Christians are so narrow-minded. Why do you think Jesus is the only way? Because he said that. He said that in John chapter 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say, some people can come through me, and some people can go through Buddha, and some people can accept Muhammad's teaching, and all these other ways. No, he said, there's one way, and I'm the only way. If you want to get to the Father, you got to go through the Son. There is no other way. He made an exclusive statement. It's only through his name that we can enter into eternal life. But in order to enter into eternal life, We've got to be forgiven of our sins. And that's Peter's main point. Through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Or in other words, forgiveness of sins. Only by believing Jesus Christ and accepting his sacrifice can we be forgiven of sins. Well, why can't we just ask God to forgive us of our sins? Doesn't the Bible say that? Confess your sins and, 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 and God will forgive you of your sins. But that's conditional in us recognizing and accepting the price that Jesus paid on the cross so we could be forgiven. We're not just forgiven by asking for forgiveness. We're forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. And now we can ask for forgiveness because we've been forgiven for all the sins that all humanity has ever committed. See, the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. Death. Bible also teaches that without the spilling of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no relationship with God. That's why God used the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. It wasn't that God loved people sacrificing animals. No, he loves animals. He created animals. It was all to point to Jesus to recognize that the unblemished lamb would come. That's why it's so significant in John chapter 1 that John the Baptist seeing Jesus, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the only way. The lamb of God is the only way we can be forgiven of our sins. Without the price that Jesus paid, we're still dead in our sins that's why it's absolutely crucial that we accept him that we believe in him as peter is teaching these gentiles verse 44 while peter was still speaking these words the holy spirit fell upon all those who heard the word it doesn't say that peter had an altar call i'm not opposed to altar calls that's fine it doesn't say he asked people to raise their hands i do that i don't, it's not a bad thing but when did the holy spirit fall upon him when he was speaking why Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They believed in that moment. They believed it wasn't like the Holy Spirit forced himself on them. They believed in that moment because of the message of Peter and the Holy Spirit came upon them. They believed in their heart that what Peter was communicating was true. And it says in verse 45, And those of the circumcision, the Jews that went with Peter, those six guys that came with Peter, who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. They were astonished. It was crazy to them that the Gentiles actually received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why was this crazy? Because they grew up in a tradition where... God hated Gentiles, but now they're receiving the same gift that the Jews received. And the reason, again, these guys are here was so that they could give weight to Peter's testimony and what happened so that they can share that, yeah, no, legitimately, the Gentiles, they received the Holy Spirit, they received the gospel as well. And it says in verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So when the Holy Spirit came upon them, there was the manifestation of gifts. They specifically talk about speaking in tongues, which we've talked about in the past. Uh, it says that they were speaking in tongues. They magnified God. Well, the Bible teaches us that that's what speaking in tongues, uh, that's what it is. In First Corinthians chapter 14, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, It says that tongues is speaking, you're speaking to God, an unknown language. 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 2, he says, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mystery. So speaking in tongues is specifically speaking to God. You're giving praises to God, not knowing what you're saying. When there's an interpreter, they're able to interpret what you're saying. And I've heard it before many times. It's absolutely beautiful. So this summer, probably in July, we're going to have like an afterglow type service where we uh biblically uh, give the church, all of us, an opportunity to operate in different gifts. Okay, I'll teach different sections out of 1 Corinthians 14, so we understand that the gifts are actually for today, and God still gives people gifts. Even speaking in tongues and prophecy and knowledge, we'll have a worship service. We'll do some of this. I'll get you the dates as we get closer. This isn't something that should freak us out, okay? This is something that's very biblical, and it's absolutely beautiful when we see it done in order, as the Bible teaches, the way that it's taught in the text. Acts chapter 10, verse 47. It's where we'll close. <clears throat> then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized to have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So they got baptized. They didn't get baptized to be saved. They got baptized because they were saved. This was an act of obedience. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save you. But we see the Lord calls us to get baptized. And he said, when he gave the Great Commission, preach the gospel, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's speaking of a water baptism. You have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit coming upon us, operating different gifts. The water baptism is really symbolic of the death us going into the water, burial, Jesus being buried in the tomb, and resurrection. When we come out, it says we walk in the newness of life. It's an external uh, action that um, symbolizes an internal transformation. Okay, My heart is aligned with Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. So I'm going to make a public declaration that I'm following Jesus now. We'll have a baptiz- uh, b- baptism baptism later in uh, August or September. I'll keep you posted about that because this is something that the Lord asks us to do. So they already saved. Now they get baptized because this was a commandment of the Lord. And then look what it says at the end of verse 48. It says, then they asked him to stay a few days. Why do they want him to stay? Because they want to know more. They, they want to know what Peter knows. They want to understand Jesus a little better. They're hungry for the word of God. They're hungry for the message of Jesus Christ. They want more and more and More. You know, one day if you guys just asked me, like, I might be eating my words later, but if you just said, Hey, you know what? We just want to know more. Can we have service again tomorrow? Uh and I would probably say, Yes, let's have service again tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Why? Because the Lord. He wants us to be hungry for his word. He wants to produce that desire in it, not just one day a week, every single day out of the week. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the Father's mouth. I was so blessed when I went to Liberia. Um, when I got there, we'll finish here in just a second. Uh, when... When literally it's crazy, they just expect everybody to be like a pastor. And I've only well, been saved for a couple of years. So I was still very nervous to communicate the Bible in a public setting. Um, and, and they would just put you on the spot. Hey, give us a message. It's like, what? Give you a message? I got to prepare a message. Nope. Give us a message. And one time, we went to this place called Boca Coli's Town. He was the leader that set up the village. There's three villages, a church in the middle. And when I got to the church, we hiked four hours through the bush, they call it, the wilderness, with flip-flops. I don't know why that's what they wear. Um, So we wore flip-flops, and we hiked through the wilderness. And we get there after four hours wiped. We get to the church. They say, preach. We want to hear you. Speak. Share the word with us. I'm like, bro. All right. Okay, so I give them a message, right? About an hour. I'm like, okay, that should be good. The next day we were supposed to farm. They they, uh, eat cassava and they do different things with it. Um, And we're supposed to help them with that for the majority of the day. That night they said, we don't want you to help us farm. We want you to preach the word. So can you teach for like four or five hours tomorrow? It's like, what? Like the night before, go teach for four or five hours? All right. So I tried to prepare as best as I could and taught for over four hours. The point is these people they didn 't have Bibles; we brought them Bibles. they had one Bible in the whole between the three villages, and it was one that, the one that the pastor had so they we get them Bibles they they, they were so hungry to hear about Jesus, they just want more and more and more of it that 's the desire that we 're all supposed to have that we just want more and more of you, Lord. We want more of your word, we want to understand who you are better and better. This is how the Gentiles responded. Stay a few days and just share with us the Word of God, everything you know about Jesus we Want to know. The main point of this text is obviously that the gospel was opened up to the Gentiles for the first time. But we have to note that this wasn't like a last minute plan like a backup plan, like uh, the Jews didn't receive the gospel, so we're gonna give the gospel to the Gentiles, like God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, like, okay, let's have a backup plan. No, this was the plan from the very beginning. We see in Isaiah chapter 60, verses one to three, we see the Jews were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, and they were supposed to draw people to the light of the Lord. We know Jesus is the light of the world. In Genesis chapter 12, that promise to Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless the nations through your seed, not just the nation of Israel, all the nations. We see that fulfilled through the person of Christ. In John chapter 10, verse 16, we see Jesus speaking of the uh, being the good shepherd. He says, there are sheep that are not of this fold, meaning there are sheep that aren't just Jewish. There's going to be different sheepfolds of different cultures, tongues, tribes, and nations. So God had this plan all along to open up the door to the Gentiles. Once again, he desires all all men to be saved. He opens up the door, but he wants people to walk through that door. we got to recall Cornelius. He was a God fearer He's a righteous man. He gave generously, but all of his righteousness couldn't get him to heaven. He still needed the gospel. This guy, guy you met, you'd be like, this is a great dude. There's a lot of great dudes, but if they don't have the gospel of Jesus Christ, they ain't getting there. And God puts it on us. To be a part of opening that door. He opened the door. But he tells us to point to the door. Our job, our responsibility is to introduce people to Jesus. He opens that door. We point to the door. But he also, he knocks on the door. He says in Revelation chapter 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. I want you to invite me in. And what happens? God opens the door for eternity. We open the door for him to come into our lives. And those things, they, they line up. They make sense. It happens at the, simultaneously. He opens the door for eternity. We open our hearts to Jesus. We get both. We get Jesus in our hearts now. We get eternity forever. Maybe there's someone that you know. Maybe there's someone that's even here that recognizes that the Lord's opened this door, but you haven't walked through it. It's his responsibility to open the door. It's our responsibility to tell people about the open door. And it's also our responsibility to walk through the door. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you opened up the gospel to the Gentiles, to, to many of us, God. And we get to benefit from this message that you gave Peter, from this encounter that he had with Cornelius, from the direction that you gave him and in preparing him for this opportunity, God, I pray. Um, Lord, that we too, like Peter, would take advantage of the opportunities. We'd open our mouth when you call us to. Lord, we wouldn't be afraid, but we would be bold. We'd be willing to get out of our comfort zone and, and get out of our traditions to, to advance your kingdom. Lord, so teach us what that means. Teach us what it looks like. Lord, if uh, there's anyone here that uh, hasn't walked through that open door, I pray that they wouldn't leave here without uh, receiving you into their heart. In Jesus' name, amen.